Let's take a quick poll, everybody. Um, with a show of hands, how many of you know what an advocate is? You know what an advocate is? Okay, good. Webster's Dictionary, so we're all on kind of the same page, describes an advocate as someone who pleads the cause for another person or, or, or something. There's someone who maybe will support or uh, argue for another, okay? That's an advocate. So today I've got three pictures of three what we might call famous people who are advocates for specific things. So here's your, it's kind of a test. So here's the first picture. Who is that? Michael J. Fox. Okay, so Michael J. Fox is an, is an actor. He, he got his kind of a start in, on, on a TV show called Family Ties. I never watched it, but maybe some of you did. Uh, where I really kind of know Michael J. Fox is through his work with, uh, what is it, Back to the Future trilogy and stuff. Who knows what Michael J. Fox is an advocate for? Kirk, what? Parkinson's. Why is Michael J. Fox an advocate for Parkinson's? Because he, he has it. In 1991, he, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's. In 1998, he kind of went public and shared with everybody that he has Parkinson's disease. And since that time, Michael J. Fox has been an advocate striving to, be, to, to really bring up, raise money and awareness to try to bring about a cure for Parkinson's disease. So Michael J. Fox is an example of an advocate for something. Okay, here's the next picture. I think. Who's that? Al Gore. Who's Al Gore? Al Gore is most widely known as the 45th vice president of the United States. His running mate was who? Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton. Who, uh, what cause is Al Gore an advocate for? Anybody know? That's right. Environmental, climate change. Al Gore is, 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 is concerned about the environment. He's, he's uh, doing, does a lot of talks about global warming. I'm so Al Gore would be an example of an advocate for a cause, in this case, environmentalism or, or climate, change, climate change. Good. Last picture. Who's that? Who's that? Donica McKellar. Donica McKellar. I think it's Donica. That's how you say her name. Donica? Uh, Donica McKellar. Any, nobody knows who she is? Yes, a few of you recognize her at least. Donna McKellar, she was on the television show The Wonder Years. Anybody watch that show? And... Um, Anybody, she's also an author. Anybody, you probably don't know what she's an author if you don't know who she is. She, she authors uh, books on mathematics. She's, she's a mathematics guru. And uh, so what might her advocacy concern? Any, any guesses? Education, teaching. So Donica, she's this, she's this actress. She's got, she's, I mean, if you look at her, her resume, she's just got list after list after list of, of movies that she has been in, for example, and as a mathematician, she's written like four books on the value of studying math, and so she would be what we would call an, an education advocate, okay? So here's the question, really, that I want you to ruminate on uh, during our conversation today, and that is, who is God asking you to advocate for, okay? Who's God asking you to advocate for? Maybe, maybe somebody comes to mind, because today we're going to unpack this Bible story, that tells the tale of a man who went to bat for a city that God was about to destroy. The Bible tells us that the people who are living in this city are notoriously evil. We're going to read their story and we're going to see how the city has a reputation of being morally kind of uh, sinful. But before God sends two angels into the city to destroy it, 
I want you to notice what one man does to try to spare the lives of the people living there. He is an advocate for this, this city, okay? So here's the big idea. If you're taking notes and you kind of want to know what we're talking about today, write this down. My actions influence God's actions. Okay, I want you to personalize that. So my actions, your actions, but think about that, personalize it. My actions, tell yourself this, my actions influence God's actions, okay? Now, if you have a Bible, whether it's in written or digital form, we're going to unpack this story. And I don't really know how to do this except to read the whole story. And so turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 18. Genesis is the first book, so it should be easy for you to find. And uh, I really wrestled with, with how, to, how to unpack our idea today. So I'm just going to read a whole chunk of verses here from chapter 18 and chapter 19 to give you the big picture of the story. And then what we're going to do is we're going to pull some, some pieces apart that hopefully we can apply in our lives. Okay, so we talk about this idea that my actions can actually influence God's actions. Okay, so Genesis chapter 18, I'm going to start reading at verse 16. And uh, as always, I ask you to try to do, picture the scene in your mind, okay? So let me set the context. So G Abraham is the guy we're going to talk about, and he's just had these visitors. These two men have visited him. He doesn't know this, but they're angels. And they've just told Abraham that his wife, Sarah, who's like 99 years old, is going to get pregnant, she's going to have, she's going to have a, a baby. And she laughs. So verse, verse, the first part of chapter 18, she's laughing. She's saying, right, I'm going to have a baby. Give me a break. Verse 16. Then the men got up from their meal, and they looked out towards Sodom. As they left, Abraham went with them to send them on their way. Should I hide my plan from Abraham, the Lord asked. Okay, so write this down, point number one in your notes. God has plans. God has plans. We see it here. God has a plan, and he's asking the question, should I hide my plan from Abraham? So God has plans. Verse 18. For Abraham will certainly become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. I have singled him out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Then I will do for Abraham all that I have promised. So the Lord told Abraham his plan. He said, I've heard a great outcry from Sodom and Gomorrah because their sin is so flagrant. I'm going down to see if the actions are as wicked as I have heard. If not, I want to know. The other men turned and headed towards Sodom, but the Lord remained with Abraham. Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away both the righteous and the wicked? Suppose you find 50 righteous people living there in that city. Will you still sweep it away and not spare it for their sakes? Surely you wouldn't do such a thing, destroying the righteous along with the wicked. Why, you would be treating the righteous and the wicked exactly the same. Surely you wouldn't do that. Should not the judge of all the earth do what is right? So who is Abraham advocating for? The city, right? These people. The Lord replied, if I find 50 righteous people in Sodom, I will spare the entire city for their sake. Then Abraham spoke again, since I have begun, let me speak further to my Lord, even though I am but dust and ashes. Suppose there are only 45 righteous people rather than 50. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And the Lord said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 righteous people living there. 
Then Abraham pressed his request further. Suppose there are only 40. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 40. Please don't be angry, my Lord, Abraham pleaded. Let me speak. Suppose only 30 righteous people are found. Now I have a suspicion that Abraham has an idea that the people in Sodom are not a very righteous group of people. I mean, he keeps going from 50 to 45 to 40. Now we're at 30. He, he has an idea that, you know, chances are strong that God's not even going to find that many people, right? Which is why he's pleading with God, please don't. And there's a reason why. We'll find out here in a minute. And the Lord replied, I will not destroy it if I find 30. Then Abraham said, since I have dared to speak to the Lord, let me continue. Suppose there are only 20. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Finally, Abraham said, Lord, please don't be angry with me. If I speak one more time, suppose only ten are found there. And the Lord replied, then I will not destroy it for the sake of ten. When the Lord had finished his conversation with Abraham, he went on his way and Abraham returned to his tent. So what we see here is this big idea where my actions actually are influencing God's actions, right? God has a plan. He's setting out to kind of see what his plan starts to roll it out. But in this plan, as it's being rolled out, Abraham starts to advocate on behalf of the people living in the city of Sodom. And so write this down, point number two in your notes. That God loves to work out his plans through me. Personalize that. God loves to work out his plans through me. So Abraham is, is having this conversation. He's advocating and God is actually listening, right? God is modifying his plans. My actions can influence God's actions. Let's keep reading. Verse chapter 19. A few more verses and then we're going to dig deeper. That evening the two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom and Lot was sitting there. And when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. Now, pay close, pay close attention to this. Then Lot welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my house and wash your feet and be my guest for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh, no, they replied. We'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But Lot insisted, so at last they went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete with bread, fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. Verse 4. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom, young and old, came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, Where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. So Lot stepped outside to talk to them, shutting the door behind him. Please, my brothers, he begged, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I have two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you please. But please, leave these men alone, for they are my guests and are under my protection. That's the Bedouin way, by the way. Stand back, they shouted. This fellow came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge? We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunged toward Lot to break down the door. Verse 10. But the two angels reached out and pulled Lot into the house, and they bolted the door. Then they blinded all the men, young and old, who were at the door of the house, so they gave up trying to get inside. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city? They asked. Get them out of this place, your son-in-laws, sons, daughters, or anyone else, for we are about to destroy this city completely. There's God's plan. 
The outcry against this place is so great, it has reached the Lord and he has sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughter's fiancés, quick, get out of the city, the Lord is about to destroy it. But the young man thought he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife and your two daughters who are here. Get out right now or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angels seized his hand and the hands of his wife and two daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city, for the Lord was merciful. When they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, Run for your lives and don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains or you will be swept away. Oh no, my Lord, Lot begged. You have been so gracious to me and saved my life and you have shown such great kindness. But I cannot go to the mountains. Disaster will catch up to me there and I would soon die. Please, there's a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. So here again we see an example where God has a plan. His plan is to move Lot to the mountains. But Lot is in this interaction with with God's messengers, the angels. And what does God do? He changes his plans. My actions can actually influence God's actions. Verse 21. All right, the angel said. I will grant your request. I will not destroy the little village. But hurry, escape to it. For I can do nothing until you arrive there. Verse 23, Lot reached the village just as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back and as she was following, as she was following behind and she turned into a pillar of salt. Abraham got up early that morning and hurried out to the place where he had stood in the Lord's presence. He looked out across the plain toward Sodom and Gomorrah and watched as columns of smoke rose from the cities like smoke from a furnace. But God, let's end here, but God had listened to Abraham's request and kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed engulfed the cities on the plain. My actions influence God's actions. Church, do you have a tendency to have a hierarchy of sin? I mean, think about this. Do you have a tendency to rate some sins worse than other sins? For example, in your eyes, which is a worse sin? Lying or stealing? Is one worse or the other. In your eyes, which is a worse sin? Committing adultery, being unfaithful to your spouse, or molesting a child? In your eyes, which is a worse sin? Espionage, selling some trade secrets, maybe for money, or cheating in order to get ahead? Is one worse than the other? In your eyes, which is a worse sin, drunkenness or losing your temper? Church, do you rate some sins as being worse than others? Yes or no? I think most of us do. But the question is, what does God do? 
Does God rate some sins as worse than others? Does God have a pecking order of this is really, really bad and this is oh, somewhat bad? Does God consider some sins worse than others? You know, here in this Bible story, we're told in verse 17 that God has a plan, right? And apparently the sins of the people living in the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, which was the surrounding arena, apparently have gotten so bad that it's drawn the attention of heaven itself. And God's plan, according to this Bible story, is to do what? It's to clean house, right? It's to filter out the riffraff, so to speak. But first, what we're told, before he just starts throwing down hailstones and fire and whatever the case may be, he, starts, he wants to check things out, doesn't he? God, and so what's God do to assess the situation? Who does he send in? Sends in these two, two angels, right? God has plans. Then we read in verse 8, 19, which we already talked about, that God has this conversation with Abraham. Now, who is Abraham? Well, if you read earlier in the Bible, most of you know that Abraham was this guy who God just found favor in. He and Abraham had this relationship. It was a trusting relationship. Abraham loved God. God loved Abraham. And in verse 19... <clears throat> God says, I've singled Abraham out so that he will direct his sons and their families to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, Then I will do for Abraham all that I promise. And so here we read that God is telling us that one of his kingdom plans is to bless Abraham's descendants, right? In fact, if you, well, we'll, we'll get there. I don't want to jump ahead in my, in my thinking. So apparently we have this relationship between God and, and, and Abraham. And I want you to notice how Abraham responds once he learns what God's plan is, right? Notice that Abraham starts a petition. We talked about that. We've read that. He starts a petition for the people living in the city of, of Sodom and Gomorrah. He begins to advocate for them. Now question, why was Abraham concerned about the people living in in the city of Sodom. Anybody know? Lot was there. Who was Lot to Abraham? If you go earlier in the Bible, you will read about, the, and you'll learn the truth, that Lot was Abraham's nephew. When God sent Abraham on this kingdom assignment to leave the land of Haran to go to this new promised land, not the promised land that they eventually went into, but as he left, the Bible tells us that he took Sarah and his nephew Lot. Now, Abraham and Sarah didn't have any kids, right? Right up until the point where Sarah was 99 years old, 100 years old. And so Lot, I submit to you that Lot was like a surrogate son to Abraham. And the Bible tells us, if you read the story, as Abraham and Lot, they move into this new territory, their livestock begins to grow, their, their, sort of the, their estates begin to become so plentiful, but these guys, Lot and Abraham, they start bumping up against each other. And so Abraham says to his nephew, his favorite nephew, his surrogate son, Lot, pick, pick where you want to go. Wherever you go, I'll go in the opposite direction. And you can read earlier how, how, how Lot looks out across the landscape and he sees this plush land, I suspect, which is the land of Sodom of Gomorrah, probably a land of valley and richness. And Lot says, I'll go there. And so Abraham says, great, I'll go in the opposite direction. And once he does, God speaks to Abraham and says, Abraham, you see all the sand out here? Your, your nation, your genealogy, your family tree is going to be as plentiful as all the sand out here in this desert. I'm going to bless you. So Lot goes here. Abraham goes there. 
What do you think? Would you think Abraham and Lot ever saw each other again? I think if you had a favorite nephew, you probably would check in on each other from time to time. So just, just stay, stay with that. I suspect that Abraham probably knew that Lot became married. I submit that Abraham probably was aware of the fact that not only did Lot have two daughters, but Lot, Abraham probably also knew that Lot's daughters were engaged. That they had fiancés. Which is why I submit that Abraham was concerned about Sodom and Gomorrah. Because if God was going to wipe out the city, guess who would go with that? His favorite what? Favorite nephew. Along with his wife and his two daughters. Now look at chapter 19, verse 1. Okay, We're going to get practical here now. Where do we find Lot sitting when the angels come into the city? Where's he at? He's at the gate. What took place at the gate? Do you know? In a city? If you read the Bible, anytime there was any kind of business transaction, if people would sell land, if they would make some kind of contract, it would happen at the city gate. And so the fact that Lot is sitting at the city gate suggests to me, that Lot was probably a judge of some kind. Because when we read the Bible, for example, when Absalom wanted to overthrow his dad, King David, where did Absalom sit? He would sit at the city gate. And the Bible would say that they would bring their concerns to Absalom and he would act as a judge for the sake of the people. And in the process, he began to win people's hearts. There's another guy who sat at the city gate. I can't remember him right now. I didn't write it down. But trust me, if you sat at the city gate, he were, you were probably a judge of some kind. Now let me find my notes here so I know where I'm at. So we see the judges. In biblical times, judges sat at the city gates in the public places where legal and business transactions took place. And we're also told that Lot invites these angels. He doesn't know that they're angels, I don't think. He just knows that they're men to spend the night with him, which was the Bedouin way, as I mentioned already. You remember that movie? There was a movie where one of our... our anybody know what it is where one of the United States, like, sent uh, one of our mercenaries, not our mercenaries, but our Navy SEALs or whatever into, into Iran, and he got, he got caught by the Taliban. Anybody see that movie? It's a true story. And basically, this Taliban, this little community in, in, in Iraq, I think it was, they protected this American soldier against the Taliban at the risk of their lives, not because they liked Americans, but because that was the, that was the Bedouin way. And so I'm submitting to you that Lot knew how evil the city of Sodom was. And he knew that if these two men, who he assumed men, were to stay in the city court, what would happen to them? They would be attacked. How do we know that? Because we read about it here, that it took place at his house, okay? Let me ask you this. I think... I think God sent angels to protect Lot in part for two reasons. And then we're going to pra- I'm gonna, I want you to pra- personalize this. <clears throat> because Abraham was advocating for him. And because at Lot's heart, he was righteous. 
Right? He's at the gate. He's a judge. He's looking out for the benefit of, of, of these two men. And yet what's really weird and kind of sick is what's he do to try to protect them? What's he offer? His daughters, right? Now, I have two daughters. And so the idea of having some guests come into my home and say, I'm going to protect you, but I'm going to give you my daughters to do with them, that just is repulsive to me. So what that suggests is even though Lot was righteous and he was somewhat a man of character, the, the way of, of Sodom was beginning to infiltrate his life. There was this, this inconsistency, okay? So here's the question I want you to think about. In your life, in your life, in my life, where has the world distracted you? You know, you love Jesus, many of you do. You're here today or you're watching online. You want, you're interested in growing in your relationship with God. And yet the question is, are we like Lot and where are you being pulled by the world? What's distracting you that's pulling you away from your relationship with, with God that God might not be pleased with? So evaluate that. Evaluate your own morality today. You know, maybe, let me, just, let me just stop here for a second. Maybe one of the reasons why you're here today, or maybe one of the reasons why you're tuning in today, if you're watching online, is because you recognize that you just, you have sin in your life. Maybe some of you have had a bad week where you've fallen morally in, in some level. You, you pick the sin, we all sin. And maybe you're here today and you're just feeling kind of dirty. I got good news. God's in the business of dirty. And God's in the business of washing us clean. So let's just take a moment. Just bow your head for a second. And if you're feeling a little dirty today and you feel like, yeah, maybe you dropped the ball a little bit. You know, you're, you want to live for God and yet maybe you, something happened this week that just kind of pulled you, the world pulled you back in. Would you just ask God today for forgiveness? Would you say, Lord, today I come before you and I'm asking for you to cleanse my heart. In my mind, maybe you lost your temper this week. Lord, please forgive me and help me overcome my temper. Maybe you had a lustful thought of some kind for, for a material thing or for a physical thing of some. Maybe you just say, Lord, today, please cleanse my mind and forgive me and wash me clean. Protect me from the world. God's in the business of washing us clean. So, Lord, hear our prayers today. And in faith, we say thank you for cleansing us. In faith, we say thank you for accepting us the way you accept the law. Good. Okay? Amen. Now write this down. Point number three in your notes. God listens and considers my petitions. God listens and he considers my petitions. Friends, when you advocate for someone, I want to submit to you, based upon this Bible story, that God is listening. And He will respond with at least consideration. You know, when we read verses 25 to 33, Abraham asks a question, God, how can you destroy the good along with the bad? Right? It's sort of in that same theme of how can good stuff happen to bad people. Abraham advocates, God, will you spare anyone if you can find 50 decent people? And we read in verse 26, God says, okay, Abraham, 
If you can find 50, we find 50, done. Comes back, well, how about 45? God says what? Okay. Uh, 40? Okay. 30? Okay. 20? Okay. 10? What's God say? Okay. What does that say? It says God listens and he considers my petition. Abraham knows that things are grim in the city of Gomorrah. He also recognizes that Lot's family are there and they're in trouble. But here's what, again, I want you to capture, that my actions can influence God's actions. The Bible writer tells us in verse 19 of chapter 19, verse 29 actually of verse 19, that God listened to Abraham's request. He kept Lot safe, removing him from the disaster that engulfed the cities on the plain. So here's my final point that I want you to think about today. This is it. We're done in one minute. Who is God inviting you to advocate for? Is it a son? Is it a daughter? Is it your coworkers? Is it some politician? Is it the president of the United States? Are you concerned about our city? Are you concerned about a school that might be in your neighborhood? Maybe you have a neighbor that you know things are going hanky. You know, we have a neighbor behind us that Saturday nights they love to throw parties, loud ones. And the pool is just on the other side of our, our fence and there's guys and girls and I'm assuming it's fairly, it's probably a younger crowd, I haven't met them, but lots of F-bombs being thrown around at 11 o'clock at night and you guys all know what an F-bomb is, right? It's that bad word that we tell our kids not to say. Lots of, I don't know what their story is, but rather than complain, should I be advocating for them? One of the guys, one of the young men last night was so loud and so vulgar, I, I found myself asking the question, because my office is right, it's the, right there, just on the other side of the fence, and I found myself asking the question, I wonder what his story is. I wonder what kind of pain he's experienced in his life to, to try to just live out the way he's, what, what's his story? And it wasn't coming from a position of superiority or, or you know, judgment. It was just curiosity. Like, hmm. And I just found myself praying for him. God, I don't know what or where he's at in his life, but I pray that you would, you know, just be real to him. Who's God inviting you to advocate for? You know, maybe some of you know what it's like to be divorced. And maybe now you have a friend who's working through the emotion of a bad marriage. Maybe that's what you're supposed to be advocating for. You know, maybe you have a son or a daughter or a nephew or a niece who's not really making great decisions right now and you can just watch them spiraling out of control. Maybe that's who God's calling you to advocate for. You know, our church has always been a church for the community. 
You know, you're going to hear me talk about that this coming Saturday at a party. That we've always been a church that's wanted to be engaged and invested in what goes on in our city. And that's why you're here, right? Because that's a part. Where in our city is God inviting you to advocate for? What do you find yourself complaining about? What are the things and the people in your life that just rub you the wrong way? Maybe that's where you should start to pray. I always pray God change me, right? Change my heart. But maybe the, 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 the issues that rub you the wrong way, it's because they mean something to you. They're important to you. Who is God inviting you to advocate for? Who's lost? Who's living a compromising life? Who's spiritually wayward and not pursuing their relationship with God? Who is God inviting you to advocate for? You know, I, I, let me give you a couple things to pray about, and then we're gonna, I'm going to wrap it up. Right now, our church is investing in Estancia High School. You guys have heard about it. Coach Vargas, one of the, there's a club, Christian club. He's opened his classroom, and a lot of the football players who he's in relationship with on a regular basis come. There's guys and girls, and Beto and Millie go every Thursday along with a few other youth leaders in our city. And they have pizza, and Beto starts, has started to bring his guitar, and they're investing in these kids. And now these kids are in our office, and they're doing podcasts, and it's, it's crazy, and it's messy, and they're loud, and, it, you know, it's, it's, it's life. We are advocating for these young men and women. And so if you don't have an idea of what to pray for, I would invite you to continue, start to pray for, if you're not already, Coach Bargus and Beto and Millie and these young men and women who come in and they're a part of our church. Scope of influence. Right now our police chief just resigned, Rob Sharpnick. And... Uh, I, I can't say much about that. I could, but I'm not going to. But I would invite you maybe right now that you would pray for our police department and for our city council now. Is they going to make, make decisions about who should replace him? There's people who are hurting. If you ever lost a, a, a favorite boss, or there's other people who are probably glad too. Who is God inviting you to advocate for? You know, when our church came here six years ago, just shortly after we were, on, were invited to be a part of this campus, an outside organization, and some of you know the story, has sought to take this property. We talked about maybe one of the reasons why the Lord brought Palm Harvest here is so that we could be part of the fight, so to speak. And this past Friday, three justices... Can I talk about this? Three justices met together to hear... The argument of Harbor Christian Fellowship, who's the mothership of this church, Pat Rod, Rob over here is on the board, to say, you know, it's not fair. What you're doing is wrong. And so maybe for the next, in the next two to three weeks, these justices are going to mull over the decision about what the next step might be. I would invite you to advocate for Harbor Christian Fellowship. I would invite you to advocate for us that we get to stay here and we get to continue to invest in the west side, Costa Mesa. 
So where is God inviting you to advocate? Who is God inviting you to advocate for? Because, brothers and sisters, my actions influence, as we see here in this story, God's actions. So point number four, there's a blank there for you. God is inviting me to advocate for, I want you to write something down. Fill it in. And then this week, I invite you and challenge you to pray every day throughout your day for that specific issue, cause, person. Speak out for one. Speak out for one. Who is God inviting you to advocate for? Just pick one. Why? Because my actions, your actions, can influence God's actions. So bow your head if that's helpful for you, and I want you to pray a prayer of favor upon the person or the cause that God's stirred you to be an advocate for today. Maybe it is environmentalism. Maybe it is Parkinson's disease. Maybe it is someone who has dealing with cancer. Maybe it is a loved one. Maybe it is a school or a city or a lawsuit thing that somebody you know is involved with. Just say, Lord, would you right now intercede? God, right now, would you just bring grace and mercy and forgiveness to this situation? And then tell them what you want. Advocate. Say, God, this is my desire. And I'm asking for it in faith right now. So, Lord, as we end our service today, we thank you for the call to advocate for someone, to speak out for one. We thank you that you've allowed us as a church family for 20 years to be that kind of a group. And we look forward, God, this week as we thank you in advance for the movement you are going to bring of love and grace and mercy and forgiveness into this situation or cause that we are lifting up. We praise you in thanks, in faith, in Jesus' name. Would you say amen? Hi, my name is Melissa Pena. Thanks for joining our online Palm Harvest community. We'd love to connect with you. If there's a specific way that we can pray for you, please send us your prayer requests at prayer at palmharvest.com. If you'd like to support our ministry, please text us at 84321. Thanks again. God bless.